I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> In this episode, David is going to be giving a presentation he gives to professionals and folks with ADHD all across the country. It's amazing. And he managed to give it to some of our neurodiverse and neurotypical friends and family, Christina, AJ, Gabe, and my husband, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us, amazing friends and family. So for this episode, you're going to hear David talking about a PowerPoint presentation. Kind of hard to do over a podcast. So if you want to see some of these visuals he's talking about, go to our show notes to a link or go straight to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast.com. And you can check them all out for free. This is part six of David's lecture series all about ADHD, where he switches from an overview of ADHD to addressing what to do with it and about it. For this one, it really helps for you to go back and listen to the other parts of the lecture series first, parts one through five, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. So what do you all remember from last time we talked? Or if this is edited just a few minutes ago. <laughs> I remember uh, something uh, to the effect of like uh, creating structure to win or to make the section of winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, remember the, the blood flow of the brain, how it goes away when you're confronted with too many choices mm-hmm. or uh, other environmental stimuli that are not positive for mm-hmm. that. Same thing. There are three types. There's no more ADD. Let's see. Were the it's a times? dopamine problem. You... <laughs> you lack it. They're all shot glasses. None of them are beer pints. The mustard? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was telling my wife about the mustard. So it's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, but it, it did. But it's mustard. Yeah. It's it's they're shot glasses. Um what so you're remembering a lot of what we talked about. Do you do you remember experiencing anything in your life? And then being like, oh my God, this is that thing now. The coupons. So I remember the coupons from before, but I still remember the coupons. Uh, Every day, I mean, there was something. Yeah. But especially the the first few days. I think the next day after we uh, met on Thursday, I was like, um, pretty sure. It was strange because I woke up really early, unusually early. I hate mornings. My body woke up at 5 a.m., right? And And I was not upset or angry. I was just kind of like awake. I was like, all right, well, I can't go back to sleep. I'm at least going to do some positive structure. And so like I uh, wrote my gratitude journal, which I did for years. That was cool. And I went worked out, which I, you know, was great. 
uh, and then just went to work early. And it was it was awesome. Wow. And then I got and then I bought a fucking calendar. Cool. Look, that's kind of huge. Wait, so that's huge. So that would have been like a weird, ambiguous moment where you're like, I'm up early. I don't know what to do. And instead, you're like, Oh, I need to figure out how to structure a transition. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Did the same thing this morning. Walked my dog, jumped on the treadmill, got showered, dressed, all the other stuff. Okay. Because it's, I thought as I got out of bed, let's do some, let's get some wins. Let's get some wins. Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. And AJ was ruminating about work, and I was like, you should try jumping up and down. It's true. Good. And you should try breathing quickly. Breathing quickly instead of taking deep cleansing breaths. Quick breath, quick breath. Mm-hmm. It's Wim Hof. I have that in my notebook, but I didn't remember, but it's Wim Hof. Wim Hof, yeah. Also nearly every day. Uh, the visual of a, a bar associated with the day, a bar of energy, mm-hmm. uh, has been with me. So, uh, like, there have been a few days this this last week in which I knew that I did not spend that bar. And sure enough, like, I was up later at night. I was, uh, I was like, self-stimulating, like, with TV or, like, news or something like that. Um, where, or, or actually one night, one night I was... I knew that was happening and I knew I hadn't spent my bar cause I didn't work out or anything. Uh, so I just, I turned off the TV and I was designing some furniture for a while, which was cool. Cause I was like, Oh, I know it's, I know this happening. And so I was like, I just, I'll do something that I, I feel like good about as well. Yeah. Opposed to just watching TV. So that was cool. But then the days, the other days that I did spend the entire bar were great because it, uh, because I, I was able to shut down a lot easier. Did you notice a difference at night when you went to bed or in the mornings the next day? Both, both a lot, but um, significantly at night because if I, if I do work out or spend the full bar or whatever, it's, uh, it's much less uh, chaotic at night where like. Mm-hmm. You're talking about something that a lot of neurotypical people experience all the time. Like, yeah, duh, you, you use your energy, you go to bed early, like you feel better. Like, why don't you realize this? And it's like, this is such a part of that ADHD experience because of the inability to take past memories and integrate it with a future experience. Like you're not gonna remember to take off your shoes before you get to the house, like ever, until someone goes, what are you supposed to do? And you're like, oh, and then you remember the thousand times. It's like, this is that kind of context where you're able to now understand, oh, the energy, I gotta do something about it. And you're like, meta, this metacognition, it's like thinking about thinking, knowing why you gotta do something. It makes it feel like less like, I gotta do the thing for no reason, right? Well, I forgot to take my shoes off today. <laughs> The whole day. And it, no, it tracked water all over. I came home with snow. And I was like, what are you doing? And when you said that, what, what happened to you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. As well, you should have. <laughs> Knuckles cracking. So what we're going to be talking about today is all about what we're going to do about ADHD. Because we talk about it in terms of like, you're, you're screwed in the first half of this talk, right? Like dopamine's deficient, your brain blood barrier doesn't work so well, like hypersensitive to stuff, easily distracted. It's like, where's the good thing in this? And how does this even work? And so the important part about now is talking about what are we gonna do about ADHD? And what are really good examples for ADHD? And the reason why I say that is ADHD is like most often uh, like scapegoated for all of the world's crap. And let me explain what I mean by this. Like I'm a therapist, right? So. I have a lot of information on like what's going on with the person based on like behaviors. You get smells like, oh, it smells like, you know, this kind of pathology or this kind of pathology. And I can totally smell ADHD. Like I'm a, like, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I'm a bloodhound for the ADHD, right. And I'll be at the park and I'll watch some child completely dysregulate and like go off running around, like doing terrible things, right. 
and the parent will run up and be like, oh, oh, really sorry, little, you know, Susie has ADHD, and then like runs back, right? But the reality of that situation is like little Susie is probably bipolar in a manic episode, experiencing some OCD and has ADHD. But the parent only feels comfortable talking about ADHD, and so we have all these misattributed like ideas of what it looks like. And people only talk about ADHD too when they're having like a meltdown. Like no one's like finishing designing an awesome thing being like, oh, this is so creative, this is my ADHD. And it's like completely part of the picture too. Like we only see it associated to the negatives. Are people born with ADHD? I love that question. That is like the best question. And I'm just gonna be impulsive, right? There's, it, there's a big debate about this in a lot of ways. I'm gonna say you are born with ADHD and you're genetically predisposed to have ADHD. And if you have ADHD, somebody else in your family has ADHD. And in places where ADHD is not present throughout the entire family, this is where I'll go crazy based on what I study and whatnot, I would say there's either a family traumatic experience that can, that can then either be passed down as traumatic uh, trauma or ADHD. So yeah, I think it's programmed. There's a great article, um, it was called The Orchid Children in like 2007, came out by The Atlantic. It's unbelievable in talking about how allele cell development has so much to do with whether or not somebody has ADHD and how the environment interacts with ADHD. The orchid children? Mm-hmm. I think it's now renamed to be like uh, Secrets of Success or Failure in Children or something like that. The article David is discussing has been renamed The Science of Success and appeared in The Atlantic in 2009. You can also go down a whole rabbit hole looking up the phrase orchid children. Uh, a link to the article can be found in our show notes or on our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. And so what we're going to talk about today is like demystifying why different parts of ADHD succeed, why ADHD can be a huge asset and why it's not always a huge pejorative and why it's often not even diagnosed as a learning disability. And that's like the big piece, right? Like when we're talking about ADHD, I have a friend, Bill. And Bill knows that I'm allowed to I'm allowed to like put him on blast here because he's such a high performer. Like he's like Bill has ADHD, there's no doubt. His motor runs hot. The man's like a golden retriever. He's always down to do whatever. Like, you want to throw a ball, Bill? You want to throw a ball? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's throw a ball. And he's always excited to talk about like anything in the world, including like some of the most boring things. Like he can talk about programming and make you really excited. Like really excited. And it's the ADHD that kind of gets infused with that. And so he has a job working for like one of the top cloud like companies in the world. He travels the world doing these different speeches. When he's not traveling the world, he writes articles because he gets bored. And when he's not writing articles, he starts improving on his house or creating investment portfolios or having really rich experience with his friends. The man does not relax. That is ADHD. Right? And, and we're not looking at that in a pejorative. This guy doesn't struggle to be late for things. He's on time. Well, he will be late. <laughs> Bill, I love you, but you're late hanging out with friends, never late to work. And it's like one of those boundary things. And it's about ADHD. And this is how we can start looking at it differently, like not seeing it as the pejorative evil thing that is ADHD and knowing that like it's genetic, it's not a choice. But what we all have a choice in is how we develop frustration tolerance, how we get exposed to different environments, how we get, uh, how we build self-esteem and how we, we learn about ourselves, like developing that sense of who you are. That's the variable. ADHD or not, like you're, you're born ADHD, you're not born, but like all those other things in terms of enriching development, that's the variable. Does that make sense? It's a great question. So the most important factors, there are three most important factors for like working with ADHD. And we're never trying to cure ADHD. Like that's just such a huge thing. Like 
it's who I am, right? So like, I don't want to care who I am, but it's about like how to work with it. So the most important variable is self-esteem. The person has to believe they can do it, whatever it is. It doesn't mean like, I can do it. I can write the 20 page paper in 10 hours. Like it doesn't matter how realistic it is. The belief is super important. It needs to be fostered, right? The second most important thing is around the ability to advocate for accommodations and accommodations. So getting the things you need to help you learn and knowing how to ask for them. Second most important thing. Third most important thing is metacognition. Fanciest way of saying thinking about thinking. Knowing why the accommodation works. Knowing that you can do it because you've done it before. Like having that knowledge is the most important and last to develop typically. What's another way to say that? Metacognition is understanding why it works. It's knowing that you're frustrated because you didn't use your energy bar versus you're just frustrated for no reason that night. It's helping someone understand why they need to ask for the thing or why something's harder. Beza gets it. Rest in peace, sweet Beza. If you hear us mention a dog, it was my and Bobby's sole friend dog, Beza, who lived a good 14 to 17 years, 11 of them with us, and was really just the best dog ever. She got it. So the best way to start thinking about ADHD is it's a different kind of brain, right? The way I like to think about it is some people are born like an orchid and some people are born like a dandelion. Have you ever seen a dandelion growing through concrete? Oh, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> right. Like, 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 there'll be like a whole, right, what are you doing to me? <laughs> no. Like, you'll, you'll be walking across like a parking lot and you'll yeah. see dandelions coming up through asphalt, right? And you can like mow over dandelions and they'll just grow right back. Like, they don't care. <laughs> Dandelion don't give a F, they'll just grow, right? Have you ever had an orchid in your life before? And so I, I had, I'm going to put myself on blast. So, but, okay, so I can't talk about my partner without like gushing. And I love my partner so much. So this is my moment of like just gushing. But like, Rah. okay, so I love, I love Robin. And I'm like, okay, I want to get you a gift. I'm going to get you a gift. And it's been like, we've been together a whole number of years. And I'm going to get an orchid that's been alive as long as we've been together. Because orchids live forever and they're super beautiful. And they like rebloom. And I'm like, this is going to be the best. And like, I went shopping and I priced these orchids. And I'm like a poor student. So this is like, this is like a lot of money for me, not, not really, but like it was, it was a big deal. And I got this really beautiful, like giant purple orchid thing with all these orchids. And like, I was like, I got this for you. And like, my partner was very happy and it was super beautiful. And I'm like, I got this. And I'm even gonna give you a gift that I'm gonna take care of. Like, I'm not gonna make you work for this. It's not like, here's a puppy and I'll go walk it. Like, I'm gonna take care of this orchid. And I killed it in a week. <laughs> like, I watered it every day. I was like checking it in the sun and making sure it was fine, right? And like, do you know how to water an orchid? Does anyone here know? Yeah. How do you water an orchid? We were guests at someone's like apartment in England mm -hmm. and they had an orchid and that was like our one duty as house sitters. And so according to them, I don't we figured out how to do this, which is you pour, you let water run over it for like a minute. You let it soak and then you drain it. And then it. you drain it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you do that like maybe once a week or like once every two weeks or something, yeah. depending on the go see our year. We have an orchid. Four-year-old orchid, orchid in there. So what I learned is orchids have to have this like exposure of like wetness and dryness to their roots. There needs to be a perfect, perfect like amount of water put into them, and you either have to have this like really laborious thing where you're pouring it and draining it and drying it, or you put one ice cube on the orchid a week. Oh, that's oh. even cooler! Wow. Just put an ice cube, and and they don't die. Okay. A little missed if you want, but here's the thing that I didn't realize. I was thinking about like students in schools are all treated like dandelions. If you watered an orchid like you watered dandelion, it's dead. It, 
but like orchids are beautiful. <laughs> like they're so pretty, right? And they're like, they last so long and they grow on some of the most like inhospitable things, like in the middle of swamps on trees and they can just add color and beauty to anything. I feel like orchids do something that other plants don't do too. Like there's like a cool bonus feature. I'm making the association to orchid and ADHD. So any superpower you want to throw on an orchid, I'm going to accept I'm going right to look this up and put it in the show notes or insert it into this moment. Okay, so I think what I was thinking of is that orchids grow harmlessly on things like trees because their roots reach up and absorb moisture from the air. Like they have air roots. What? What? I know. Uh, back to what we were saying. So what you're saying is if we eat orchids, we can fly. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Excellent. I'm excited. ADHD power. So the thing we have to start thinking about is like, what are the environmental watering instructions for somebody with ADHD? And... We need to think about like not that it doesn't work for me and it works for someone else, so I'm broken. It's, it doesn't work for me because I have to learn differently. I gotta do it differently. The task for somebody with ADHD is to have like a menu in life and constantly try to do things differently. Not the same way. Knowing what, like what you struggle with and knowing why you struggle is like one of the biggest parts of metacognition, right? And so schools identify places where people struggle and they work to build them up. This is like what schools do. The dilemma is a school would never take somebody in a wheelchair and be like, all right, today, one step, one step, tomorrow, two steps. Like, like they would never happen. Yeah. They would understand con like contextual limitations. They would understand just because this person's in a wheelchair doesn't mean they can't do step. It means they shouldn't. We need to find ramps, right? Like accommodations. So when we talk about vulnerabilities, knowing what you're not good at helps validate why experiences are harder. I don't have a learning disability. I have a sitting still disability. I have a pacing disability. When David is talking about pacing, it's not just about speeding up or slowing down to like conserve your energy. It's more like the speed at which something goes. Like if David was a car, he's built to run at 50 miles per hour. So he's going to find it really hard to only go five miles per hour. That's really different. When things move really slow, like that's when I, like I turn into an insane person. I wish I didn't, right? Because I'm so with it. I'm so good in the trenches. You give me a crisis and I will like bang it out. But like you like put me behind somebody who's old and frail and walking really slow and I have somewhere to go. Like I could rip my own face off. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I know, I know that's going to happen. So when I see that slow walker moving ahead of me, I'm, I'm crossing the street. I'm, I'm doing whatever I can to not encounter the frustration. It's not a growth moment for me anymore. It's about understanding those vulnerabilities. So one of the best like analogies for this for me is like, uh, it's baseball. Does y'all like baseball? Most people don't anymore, which is why I like ask it like, does anyone like it? So baseball's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the photocopies. <laughs> I like baseball. So, <laughs> so the thing about baseball is you look at every different position, it has different roles and different things they do, right? But if you were to look at a relief pitcher, they're terrible at baseball. Like, they're the worst. They're, like, arguably the most important person on a the team. They win championships. So they're the guys that, like, people hoist up, right? And it's, like, if you were to, like, interview, uh, like, a, a re like, a relief pitcher and you know, just ask him, you didn't know anything about baseball, it's like, oh, you're a professional baseball player. And the person would be like, yes. And he'd be like, oh, you make millions of dollars, high-pressure situations? And they'd be like, yes. And like, you must swing that bat very well. And they're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't touch a bat. And they're like, oh, 
you must run the field very well. Like, no, 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 I don't run. And they're like, oh, you're a pitcher. You pitch the whole game. You throw lots of strikes. Like, no, I throw the ball 12 times. It's like the more you start defining what a relief pitcher does, like the less of a baseball player they actually are. But they're highly coveted for what they do. That's what they do. Now, the thing is, if a relief pitcher were to walk into a typical school system, and I'm not trying to like hate on school systems, but I'm trying to evidence where the self-esteem comes from, right? So if a relief pitcher were to walk into school and they'd be like, what do you want to, what do, you want to be? And the relief pitcher's like, I want to be a baseball player. They're like, great. Well, you got to work on your batting. You're going to have to work on your fielding. You're going to have to work on your running. And they'd be like, but I like pitching. They'd be like, well, you're good at that already. Don't worry about that. Right? And so you see somebody encountering more and more of things that they're not good at in their life. Understanding your vulnerabilities is like knowing you're a relief pitcher, knowing the situations you should be called upon, knowing when you want to take the lead and knowing when you want to back up and stay in your lane. Like stay in your lane or be like, I opt out to drive today. So, someone handed me a bunch of money the other day and they're like, here's this money. I'm like, great. Uh, partner, here. Like, like immediately it's gone because you don't want me managing the money. I have an allowance. This isn't even like a shame part of a conversation. It is around like why I don't want to spend all of our life savings on jujubes one day. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an accommodation for a moment, right? <laughs> I'm here to make a dentist rich, but like, thank you. <laughs> You're all weak, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's understanding those vulnerabilities that become so important. My, my partner, like my partner's so good with money. My partner does not have executive functioning issues in a lot of ways. So like when my partner's like, we probably shouldn't buy that. I go, okay. <laughs> I'll say, but it's really cool. My partner will be like, yes. And I'll be like, okay, so we still can't get it. Like, like it's about validating, but, you know, knowing my, I don't have a lane, like, at all. My partner will ask me to evaluate what is the best item to buy, because my partner does not want to sift through research, and I'm like, oh, okay, and I'll look for the best printer for, like, a week. Does this make sense? I won't buy anything without researching every single thing about it. So, there but are... But then I want to buy every one of them so that I can... <laughs> have them all and keep up. So, what we look at is, like, what accommodations look like. And like when we think about accommodations, there's a lot of different ones, but it's about creating your own. My favorite kind of accommodation is called DRO. It stands for something really technical, and I apologize for everyone right now, but it stands for differential reinforcement of the other. Well, stereo speak. So what that means is it means making the behavior you're trying to avoid like not an option, making it incompatible. So. A DRO technique, if you're trying to not bite your nails, would be to wear band-aids or gloves. So you can't bite your nails. Differential what? Differential roto... <laughs> Reinforcer of the other. So you're reinforcing other behavior. Reinforcement of the other, right? Differential reinforcement of the other. So you get the win and the reinforcement by going all day without biting your nails, even though you didn't have to actually deny the urge once. And then you get the reward of actually like accomplishing what you were trying to avoid at the end of the day by not doing it. This is like when you're like, oh my gosh, all I want in life are marshmallows, but I'm not going to buy the marshmallows so they're not in the house. Therefore, I've won my goal of not eating 10 bags of marshmallows yes. because I never put them in my house. That's like perfect. And the next step is how many times do you have to decide not to buy marshmallows if you don't buy it at the store? I mean, I don't want to answer that. At the time of this recording, I was several months pregnant, and at least for me, the yumminess of food, how strong my sense of smell was, and the cravings for tasty things, especially donuts, uh, was alive and well. Okay, so, <laughs> so if you leave the store and you don't buy the marshmallows, how many times 
that day do you look for marshmallows in your house? Oh. You didn't buy them, so you know you I'm don't gonna have I'm going to substitute them. donuts, because now as we're talking, I actually just want donuts. I would say I look for them maybe four times a day. Even though they don't exist in the house? Of course, yes. I, and then I get mad that they're not there, but Perfect. then I'm also like sort of happy that I like didn't put them there. So you only had to say no four times? Yes. What, how many times would you have to say no to donuts if they were in your house? I never, because I just keep eating. <laughs> You actually might say no a thousand times before you eat all the donuts. True, because, yeah, that's probably... <laughs> like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to eat... This. Oh, God, Dude, I, would, I do the thing where I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat it now. I'm going to save it for later. I'm going to save it for later. I'm going to save it for later. I'm going to save it. And then it's just, yeah. And then you're like, just one nibble. Well, I have to round out the other end. Okay, I'll just eat this whole donut. Well, that leaves an odd number. And then the next thing you know, there's like one donut left, and you're embarrassed to so eat that one. Not that I've ever been there. Totally been there. So... <laughs> So it's about differential reinforcement of the other is about understanding like how to how to succeed without having to combat the urge like to surrender to it. So for instance, I do not have Amazon on my like I can't order from Amazon. I do not have the app. My partner has Amazon. I do not. The amount of impulsive buying that I I do not buy things on Amazon because I don't have an account. If somebody is trying really hard, no, let's just like think about a school example. It's going to stink, but like I'll just go there and say like, if you str- like really struggle in study hall because you're talking to your friends, like what should you do? Should you focus on getting accommodations to build blinders in or earmuffs, or should you just focus on not being in the room with your friends? Done. And the DRO strategy would be you have study hall in a place that you're not distracted, as opposed to really trying to get good at regulating distraction. ADHD means you're not going to be able to regulate the distraction. That's the place that we have to honor that vulnerability. Well, and the other thing is, let's say you, I feel like, let's say you didn't move study halls, mm-hmm. then what you're also saying, if I'm hearing right, is like every time you have the urge and then you do it and the urge and you do it, I mean, that ultimately factors into your self-esteem because then where is the confidence that you can do? Like, yep. if anything, you just get only reinforcement that you can. Exactly, and then... The thought, the urge, and the behavior, the neurons that fire together, wire together, so it becomes harder and easier to be distracted in those environments. It's, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. It's really difficult. The, you don't have to go to a different study hall, but you do have to go in the hallway. You do have to get away from the people that are going to distract you. There's no hope. And it's not like you're no hope, but like no hope. Or for some people that can study, they're fine. ADHD is not like one size fits all. I like these a lot. I'm just trying to think of like... The things that are a little less concrete. So, or pick an obstacle and we should think of. Yeah, that actually, it it would be easier. The the best thing to think about, and I'm totally going to go there in a second, but the best way to think about this is not how can we have the perfect way of thinking about every accommodation, but just thinking about accommodations differently, right? So, it's like if it works for one person with ADHD, it's going to work for one person with ADHD. Right. So you can steal things from other people. They might not work. They will work. But like, it's about brainstorming. them. What were you going to say? Oh, um, for people who don't have ADHD, the very good comparison is smoking. Cause I've gone through this as a smoker. And then as a non-smoker, we have white Oreos in the house and I have to constantly think, don't eat the white Oreos. I promise her I wouldn't eat the white Oreos, leave the white Oreos alone. Really? I have to think, don't eat the white Oreos literally every time. I open the refrigerator. So it's very much like you if you've got... just eat them. I, I don't want to. that no. they're there. It's fine. <laughs> if it's like the person who doesn't have cigarettes. Like you can't smoke if you don't have a box of cigarettes. Yes. If you have cigarettes, you will smoke. Yes. If you're a smoker, of course. That, that's exactly the, the best way to talk about urges around addiction, actually, because ADHD has much more intense urges, and that's how it's different than the typical population. Did you have an idea of one that you wanted to brainstorm for? Uh, not really. Uh, like, I mean... 
the good example would be like, all right, uh, I'm going to, when you're going out to eat, right? And you're like, oh, I just, I need to eat something. Well, I'll, I'm going to eat something that's not necessarily good for me, but I just, I, I crave it. I'm just going to eat it right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm going out, right? Like, how do you take options? Of, how do you take options away from you that are readily available to you always? I have a suggestion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You should ask them not to give you a menu because chances are you're familiar enough with the type of cuisine that you're going for that you can be like, can I just have a salad with dressing on the side or whatever it is that you want? And then you're not tempted by even looking at the option. That's not bad at all. You're eliminating a lot of impulses and people actually, menus are like a big bane for people with ADHD. You know, it's like someone, like most ADHD people would prefer a menu with like six items and all of them having pictures and nothing else. Like I don't really need anything else. What are the six things you cook well? But another way of thinking about that using like DRO, right? Just jumping into DRO strategy would be, when are you most likely to have impulsive eating during the day? Between nine and five, after five, before, like when is that time? Like lunch, normally. Ah, okay. Because because I'm on my own sometimes. So what like so what you think about right then is it's like so you can think about diets that pertain to a period of time in your life. So you could say between ten and two, I can't have gluten, or between ten and two, I'm a vegetarian or a vegan, uh, or or I can only eat Mediterranean food, or like you give yourself one of those weird boundary diets, right? So that like when you are having the impulse of like yeah, give me screw it, give me five veggie tacos, right? Like, it's okay, the harm is reduced. Um, the harm reduction strategy! Exactly it, right? Oh. It's harm reduction because it's not about, like... It's not abstinence. Yeah, reduction. you can't do abstinence because I'm gonna make you feel bad now, ready? Okay. But only because I care. The amount of times he had to say no about the white Oreos, you have no idea the win that he was holding right there and how proud he was of, like, I didn't mess up my baby's Oreos. And he had to slay that dragon a thousand times. And you looked at him and was like, I don't care. And he went, oh, yeah, this isn't a big deal. And like, I want to tell you, I saw that moment and I got you, man. It's like, that's the so ADHD. I'm proud of you for abstaining from the Oreos. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> you ever gotten cereal and found that there's like a prize in the bottom, but, but there's like five prizes that you have to collect. You got to collect them all. Well. My lecture is being broken up into small prizes that are found at the bottom of cereal boxes. Except instead of a cereal box, it's this podcast. And we will slowly be releasing them. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of, and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.